Welcome to the Jolly Podcast. I'm your host, Melissa Barrett. This podcast is for those who are interested in the conversation around diversity, inclusion, and equity. Each week, I'll be interviewing a guest who has something special to share or is actively part of building solutions in this space. Let's get started. Meet Veronica Adele Rogers. She is a performer, a speaker. She writes poetry, songs, stories, and speeches. And she always seems to have life-changing words to share. She's a published author, multifaceted writer, and just really interesting to talk to. She is celebrating her book publication, How to Successfully Prepare for Job Interviews. So I thought I would bring her on so she could tell us a little bit more about the book, but also give us some insight into her life as well. Please join me in welcoming Miss Veronica Rogers. So I am excited this week to have Miss Veronica Rogers here with me. And um, we all know she is a published author, multifaceted writer. Um, and I know you have a couple of books out. So I'm hoping we can talk a little bit about those. But before we do that, I really wanted to just ask you a question about how you got to be where you are today and who you are today. I know you're not living in the United States. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, hello, everybody. Um, to start, I was born and raised in the island of Trinidad and Tobago. It's the most southerly island of the Caribbean, right, right up next to Venezuela. And um, so I've been here my entire life. <laughs> and um, ever since I was very young, like maybe well, six or seven, I have been expressing my mind in words. And what was interesting was when when I, when mom was my late mom was pregnant with me, she wasn't too well. And when I was born, I wasn't too well. In fact, the nurses didn't think I would survive the the, the hour. Oh wow! And, uh, for the first four years of my life, I couldn't speak at all. But they knew I wasn't mute because I could make sounds and I cry and whatever. And um, I had something called Einstein syndrome which they didn't at the time know about. So everybody was just praying that I would be all right and the speech would come. And it did. And I, I was told that uh, when I came of age to go to school, mom took me to preschool with in faith, believing because I was responsive and everything like a regular child and everything had my, my mood swings and my emotions and everything else was in, was in check. And they noticed that I was very much in love with music. Anything musical, I, I would be just high. And um, so they said the child is showing everything is just um, normal. It's just she's not, she doesn't have anything to say. Whatever. So she, when she has something to say, she'll say it. And <laughs> so said, so done. The first day, I went, I went and they put me to sit next to some little boy. <laughs> <laughs> and apparently he was, you know, some kids when they're small and they're not socialized yet, they cry and they fuss about everything. And apparently he wasn't too thrilled with having a girl come sit next to him. So early to be so ridiculous. 
and, and and I think I think the first the first interaction with a non family member was then when I I looked I looked at him because mom was still standing talking to the principal, and he said I looked at the boy with such disgust, I gave him the signal to go around, <laughs> and he started crying because he was. He was flabbergasted and intimidated by my face. Like I was like, "What's wrong with you?" <laughs> and, and everybody was laughing at him. And when mom got home, she proceeded to tell everybody about how I was <laughs> so bold to tell the child go around <laughs> by my body language, but I was correct. And then by the second day when I got home, I just started blurting out whole set of words and just telling them about my day. And they were like mouths hung open. Amazed that okay, something unplugged. <laughs> <laughs> so they found out, wow, she just had it storing up. She was just waiting, you know, just waiting right. for the moment. That boy brought yeah. out the best in you, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. And um, well, I've loved words ever since. I just love words. I remember, you know, sometimes when you're on the phone talking to a friend, you start doodling on the nearest thing that you could write on. Yes. And I, I do remember, even as a teenager, I would be doodling the alphabet. And somebody coming to use the phone after would be like, who wrote up the alphabet on this book? What is this? <laughs> <laughs> all over, wherever I can find, I would write the alphabet in all kinds of patterns and shapes. And when I got to high school and started doing art, I, I, I loved cross-patch and these kinds of things because I used to do that, writing the alphabet and drawing little lines this way and that way all over the place. And so when I told somebody, I really love words, it's like, no kidding. <laughs> but That's funny. Stories have always been a very important part of my life. And I believe that even um, a mute person can communicate and uh, language is just wonderful. I, I started learning um, sign language when I was a teenager in a semi-military group that I was a part of that was similar to Girl Guides. It was called Crusaders. And and I'd be even more fascinated. And then when um, the the understanding that you can you can express yourself with poetry and with song, uh, I I just had a ball growing up. I mean, I had all the regular troubles of a young person growing up, I suppose. But to me, um, going into the world of words and uh, and, and 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 appreciating. The, the solace and the refuge of imagination and positive thinking has been very integral in my, my upbringing, my survival through a whole lot of stuff that I've experienced. And I just have to say, um, I give, I give praise to God and, uh, my parents who are no longer with us. Uh, I really, I really was blessed to have parents that instilled in me a love for learning and did did not stop me from always going in a library and mom I'd like to get a new book please and <laughs> and you know they didn't deter me they didn't discourage me and yell at me and say what's the matter with you how many books do you want to get and you know you right. know because um we 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 were um home middle class uh when I was little but started having some financial problems with the different recessions and the different things and dad getting ill and uh, things like that. So it wasn't always easy to go for them to go and buy me a new book for a birthday or, or Christmas. But when I couldn't get it as a gift, there was a library. And, oh, was I excited to be able to 
got to go to the library and get books for free and sit down for hours and mom didn't have to worry about okay we don't know where V is no they always knew when I was not in the house <laughs> I was somewhere in the yard under a tree or in a corner somewhere quiet with a book <laughs> I love it or or an animal because <laughs> that was another love I just love animals too so I, I, I hardly got into trouble I think I started getting into trouble when I was an adult <laughs> I love it. Well, and now, so now story, uh, you mentioned being such an integral part of your, of your being. Um, I know there's a lot of history where you come from. Um, you know, how have those stories shaped you? Um, the scary ones that they told us when I was little, the folklore about these creepy little creatures that look like children but had no face and had their heads turned around and be called Dwens, uh, made me stay out of trouble and get home after school. <laughs> <laughs> so it instilled in me uh, a respect for the supernatural, um, mm-hmm. a, a curiosity, but caution for the unknown and uh, a discipline to know, to find yourself where you're supposed to be at what time. <laughs> <laughs> so mom, again, didn't have to worry about the girls um, liming late, going by friends and not remembering the time. What? When the time sun started setting and even before, I would be telling my elder sister that I, I, I hardly went out when I was little. We always went in a group. It's either myself and a sister or a few of us. And I would be telling her when she's liming with her best friends, like, it's time to go. And she's like, what's wrong with you? We have at least half an hour. I was like, no, I want to get home before it gets dark. I don't want to go. <laughs> Stop any trouble, <laughs> and um, all the other stories like Papa Bois, the one that loved animals and took care of animals, helped us to respect all life and respect animals. Apart from Mom uh, raising us to respect all life and respect people and to treat all people with um, equality and the same level of regard, uh, that stayed with me to the point where just yesterday I was speaking to someone in LinkedIn because they were talking about the fact that um, there's still a lot of people that disrespect certain certain groups of people. And in one of one of my written works, I was sharing um, the importance, even when you're going to an interview, of showing respect for everybody you meet. Because mm-hmm. a lot of young and middle-aged people forget that the boss can change his suit and put on something scruffy, wear slippers, rumple his hair, go around the back and then come in pretending that he's the plant man or he's the cleaner or he came to look for a relative and he just jumped out, jumped into his car and then bothered to fuss up. And they can observe how you treat everyone that comes in the interview room. And they can be looking at you on camera. You don't even know because there are all kinds of cameras now. Yeah. And they can send the cleaner to spill something near to your foot and see how you react and, uh, and, and all of that. And, yeah. you know, so these stories, they, they not only instill in us a discipline and help me to realize, well, wow, well, if they could write that crappy story, I could probably write something better. And it was <laughs> a build a self-esteem and, and a confidence that I can do it. I know I can do that. I can write a story too. So when it came time to school, um, getting getting an assignment where you had to write an essay, write a story, I was elated. <laughs> I had a few children in the class that would, ace it and never be afraid to say what I have to say, whether I had to make something up or I had to talk about something that actually happened 
which is a there's difference between fiction and non-fiction, which I learned very early and found exciting. The yeah. rest of the kids be like, there's something wrong with no something's wrong with you how could you not want to share about what happened in in, in your holidays how can you be afraid to talk about something that's supposed to be so natural and yeah. that confidence stayed with me and i passed it on to uh younger younger people in my family passes on to my daughter pass it on to students that i eventually ended up teaching and that is the thing about your your, your beginning it's very important because it determines your ending. It determines the person you grew up to be. And yeah. in the Caribbean, we have lots and lots of stories. We have lots of folklore. And even in the festivals, we celebrate things like in Carnival that we celebrate uh, February, March each year as the Lord allows them. Um, you see all the characters that they could muster up, all the costumes that are made about the griot and the guys wearing the the, the stilts i forget what they're called mm -hmm. and um <laughs> um the 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 mud the mud monkeys there's another word for them too all these amazing creatures some of them are really creepy and kind of scary <laughs> but you know the background behind it and that um it all started with people taking something negative that occurred and finding a way to spin it turn it into something that not only lives on but can be deemed as a positive because a lot of the, the the descendants of slaves and the descendants of the indentured laborers um created stories for their kids to have something to entertain them and to keep children from crying when they were hungry and to pass time when they were sheltering from bad weather and all these kinds of things and i really admire the past storytellers that have set the pace for us and have instilled in us an appreciation of uh, fantasy versus reality and um, just finding a way to, to find something to celebrate about in, in the past of your ancestors and even yourself. Yeah, I love that. Well, you know, I have a special place in my heart for the griot because <laughs> my husband was the jolly. So, yes. um, so I know you talked a little bit about, you know, interviewing. So I do want to, you know, kind of jump over to your published work, recently published work about, um, how to successfully prepare for a job interview. Um, and I know, you know, landing your, your dream job, everybody wants a dream drop job, they may have an idea of what they want to do. Um, and you are dropping some nuggets here on um, successful interview techniques. I know my dad always told me, you know, you smile and speak to everybody you see, whether they're, you know, picking up garbage or cleaning or whatever they're doing. Um, they have an important role in whatever the process and the circle is. Um, so mm -hmm. I love that you talk about, you know, equality in that way, because I think nowadays people start talking about equality um, and there are so many different aspects to equality, you know, even starting small. So tell us a little bit about why you wrote the book and maybe a little bit about, um, you know, some of the some of the the benefits, some of the things in there that might be helpful. OK, well. I started working in 1989, volunteer work first for different family members who had businesses and needed help. 
And that got me some a lot of valuable volunteer experience. And even while I was doing sales work or or whatever it was, you'd always come across some potential customers that maybe one of one of the siblings, maybe my sister might have been a little uh, afraid of or perturbed to, to deal with because of their appearance. But I always had a mindset, there's a person inside of there, regardless of what they look like. Mm-hmm. And so from an early age, again, I, I just showed respect. And what actually helped her get some sales was the fact that I didn't snuff them. I didn't snob them. I didn't act like, okay, we don't want you. You go away because of uh, the fact that he's not wearing a shirt or whatever, or the hair is in a mess or whatever. And these people went back and told other people, hey, go and buy something from that place. There's this girl that's helping sell and she's very pleasant. And uh, customer service one-on-one. If you're not respectful of everybody that you meet, you would not have the success that you want to have as a customer. And you found that they'll send their sisters, they'll send their, their aunts and their uncles and whoever else. And uh, during the, co- the course of selling them the product, they would say, um, you so and so and so and so and they'd ask me about what happened earlier when this particular person came in. And I'm like, well, I just answered that question and uh, I'm a best to be of help. And didn't, if they bought something or they didn't buy something at the point in time, um, I, I wasn't upset, you know, and they were... I, I, I guess I was always by my life being a light and also being a teacher because you always meet somebody who is amazed or didn't know it that way. And so you're able to, again, impart, impart knowledge and information to other people. When I started working, um, I had a lot of trouble, not because of not having qualifications and things like that, because um, I went to college and got uh, very good grades. But again, the respect and the understanding that everybody deserves a chance and everybody deserves equal respect um, across the board, no matter what sort of company I interviewed with or, or, or sought to get a, a job at, you saw that in play. You saw it in the waiting room with the different people that were waiting. You saw it when you went into the interview room. And over the years, um, I would say basically uh, 30 to 32 years, of working, I have had many, many interviews, probably probably uh, over a hundred. And um, I learned from each one. I would um, take notes of things and try to glean whatever information I can get, not just um, about the companies that I interviewed with, but people. I like studying people. And um, I realized over the years, I was struggling with this thing that I don't know uh, if you've ever heard of uh, um, something called a negative cycle or a negative pattern um, and some of the reasons why they come to be. But unknown to me, I only found out about it this year, um, I was not getting to keep jobs. And it wasn't because of anything that I was doing or not doing. It was because of a whole lot of other elements. And I remember somebody telling me last year, um, that anything that is negative that that has happened in your life, you should try to get it moving forward. But even though they said that, I was thinking, 
there are some elements of our past that we shouldn't try to forget, even the bad things, because you not only learn from it, but you can turn that bad thing or that thing that people perceive to be bad into something good. And I wanted to do that. So I thought about some of the bad things in my past, like losing a lot of jobs that I had, really great jobs too, and some of the pain that I experienced being persecuted by co-workers who didn't like me for one reason or another. And um, I said, how can I use that to help other people? Because that's what I'm all about. And how can I turn that into something positive? And I thought, okay, I can take all that I've learned in that experience or that aspect of my life and put it into a book so I can help other people to be prepared and to do better when they have to face this thing that I've had to face so many times, interviews, because it became an art. I became like a professional interviewee. It was ridiculous. There was a particular year that I went to interview at a company that was um, making bulbs. And I think that was the first time I used the word diversity and got people raising their eyelids. It was a panel interview. Uh-huh. And um, when I walked in, I, I saw the, the females looking looking at me a certain way. And <laughs> because at the time I was rocking uh, a, an androgynous look. So I had a lovely business suit on, but I didn't have the feminine hairstyle. I had my hair cut short and I was everything was neat. And I had all my documents and I had my poise and my good posture and my good handshake and all the works. And the interview was as far as anybody would be able to judge, excellent. Uh-huh. I aced it. There was nothing I didn't say that I should have said. And um, they asked me a question and I answered them and I used the word diversity, about embracing diversity. And the two females looked at each other. One of the guys started twitching a foot like he was nervous. And the other one did a sort of not like, okay, that, you know, <laughs> that kind of. Mm. And and as, as as soon as I said it, a little check came in inside of me saying, "Oops, you shouldn't have used that that phrase." You know that is that is accepted yet in society. From the time you started to talk about rights and diversity and equality, that I don't think she's some kind of feminist. She's an activist. She's one of those troublemakers who's going to start a fight for equality in the workplace. They don't want the females to this and that and the other. And, and, and they're talking about sexual harassment. Or she must be gay. <laughs> Let's pause for a moment. We'll be right back. I, I kept thinking... Not only is this important now, because all these people who have lost jobs are going back into the into the world of work and going back into the rat race looking for work. And some of them might have forgotten what to do. They've been working at a company for so many years, you know. And even the young ones now coming out of college and now coming out of school and want to get some work for the summer or some work before they go back. Um I think it's it's timely and it's really valuable. And I do hope and I, I really believe that it is for everybody. It is for every type of person, no matter what is the age range, no matter what is your agenda, your race, your religion, no matter what. It is important to know how to be prepared for the interview you have to face. What the was would most likely be thinking about what are the purposes of interviews. These are some of the things that I cover in the book, the reasons for interviews, 
the steps you need to take before you reach even that interview stage, being even called or written to be asked to an interview. There are things that you have to understand and be prepared for. And two of my favorite chapters are what interviewers look for and what interviewers look at. And they seem to be almost the same thing, but they're not. And um, at the end, after I talk about that and the structure stages of the interview, the day of the interview, before you get to the venue, when you get to the venue, after the interview, and, and two of the most uh, popular chapters, I think, would be um, some of the toughest questions asked and how to handle them and the reasons for not getting hired and tips on how to improve your chances. Because um, in going to some interviews, I hear people talk about some of the other wait, people waiting in the room talk to each other. They talk about past interviews that they have had and uh, previous time they applied to, to work at that particular company and how it worked out for them. And I was just thinking in my mind, and you're deciding to talk about this now while you are in the waiting room, whether people's staff can hear you, unbelievable. <laughs> and I was like, they're not going to get you. And then you you meet some people who are negative right through. They're just negative. They're bad talk. They're bad. They're past boss. They're bad talk. They're past co-workers. They're bad talk. The, the security guard they met on the way in. And I'm thinking, why doesn't this person just be quiet? Best they stayed home. And I'm thinking, I need to write this stuff down because people need to know. You don't go to an interview and bad talk the boss doesn't matter how horrible the person was if they if it made a pass at you doesn't matter you always have to find a positive way to talk about that past company and why not because you're lying or because what happened didn't happen but because the person that is sitting before you really doesn't want to know about all that bad stuff they are simply asking you to tell them about that job because they want to know if you are going to bad talk them if something goes wrong there that's a basic bottom line. And you realize in everything, there's an element of selfishness when you're dealing with other people and money. They always think about the bottom line. They always think about how it's going to affect them and the company and the bottom line. They grass at the end of the day, at the week and the month and the year. So you always have to remember, put your best foot forward and your best words forward and always try to present anything in a positive light. You can present um, being um, harassed in a positive light. For example, the very first paid job I had, um, I didn't put this in the book though, but the very first paid job, I was about 20, maybe 20, 21. And um, it was a summer job that had potential to turn into a permanent job. And, and um, it wasn't even two days into the job. I distinctly remember I was sitting at the desk doing my work and the head of security came up to me and the guy started tweeting with me just like that. Day two, I didn't even have time to get accustomed to the place that this guy started in. Only to, and I, I was, you know, raised Christian and very, very circumspect and my, my daddy didn't play. <laughs> And so I, I was not about to go and cause any problems. I was not interested. The man looked old enough to be my father. And I was there to do a job. And I intended to do it to the best of my ability and leave it good reviews. This man was asking me if I needed a lift down to town and a whole set of stuff. And the man would not take no for an answer. He kept coming back each day. He would come and stand by the desk. And uh, by the end of the week, I got, I got concerned. And I went to my senior the one right over me who I was assisting, I told her about it. And she said, yes, I noticed that he was coming around. And um, 
I'll, t- I'll, I'll observe him for the next couple of days. And if it's getting to be where you're really uncomfortable, we're going to take it higher. Okay, but for the most part, ignore him. Just tell him morning and evening and try your best to be busy so he would take a hint and leave. Take a hint and leave. Yeah, he left, but he kept coming back. And it reached a point where uh, some friends that I made, some female friends that I made at work, one of them had a car and she lived near to me. And so we decided to carpool. So she said she would give me a lift. And he didn't know all of that. But he assumed one day when he came and, and asked again, and I said, no, thanks, I'm getting a lift for someone else. He assumed that I was just playing hard to get. And I went to her and I told her about it. And she was like, well, no, I'm not having that. But she's deceased now. Um, she went and she uh, started up a conversation with him to confront him about his behavior and to let him know not only is it unprofessional and immature that you're dealing with this young girl who just started working here, this young girl now come out to the world of that's that's the kind of thing you let any girl meet for the first time. And, uh, you know, you're too old, you, you should know better and a whole lot of stuff she told him. And he stayed away for a while. And then when he did come back and talk to me, he tried to make it look as if I I led him on. And then I'm pretending that I'm getting a lift with somebody else. But the long and short of all that experience, if I had to answer a question like, what is one difficult thing that you had to overcome while you were at a past job? Um, you know, there's so many ways that you could say it, but the best thing would be <laughs> to, to put a, try to put a, a sort of a joke into it and say, well, I learned I learned in my very first job and ever since then that I, I am so cute. Some people just can't concentrate on their work. <laughs> now I can say that instead of saying um, I was, I was almost sexually harassed and I was stalked by a coworker. I mean, the person on the other end of the table might not be too uh, comfortable with that, that response, you know? So in the book, I share scenarios or I, I present the facts. And I give examples, whether hypothetical or a little bit of truth and experiences that I've had, particularly in the end when I got really comfortable because I wrote the book as if I'm speaking to somebody. I'm not I'm not just on top a pulpit or on top of a stage in, in, in a conference or something talking, but I, I made it professionally personal. You know, right. um, okay. so that the person to get a tone of, okay, this is an older person with experience. She's not just talking off the top of her head or stuff she researched. She's telling us based on experience. And I wasn't ashamed to let them know that I, I, I've, I've actually been successful at being offered at least 30 jobs. So it's not that I'm just telling you stuff. It's stuff that works. And I've learned that. The more you learn and the more you apply what you learn and you teach other people, to me, you solidify the lessons. And it, it's so much richer. And even the, the bad things that you accomplish, you're able to look back and, hey, I can look back now and laugh at that that encounter with that guy. And I was like, at the time, this is scary. Do I have to leave? And um, you know how it works out by me maintaining my composure, maintaining my values and my respect. I had so many people batting for me and defending me. I didn't have to tell him anything. And, um, well, that's got was a lot, the of the last. right? Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. what's nice about having people that will, will support you and speak yeah. up for you. Um, even when you may not even know how to speak up at the time. That's it. That's it. Because I was so young. I mean, literally my first job, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah it can be scary right yeah so yeah. that's that's basically what inspired me getting that book out and i'm so excited i can hardly wait for uh people to start to really realize that it's there and 
get their hands on a copy. So yeah. it's going to be available free all week next week from the 9th to the 13th of, of January on oh. Amazon.com. So I'm telling everybody that's my gift to you. <laughs> if you don't, well, if you don't nice. get in on that during that time, that's it. Oh, fantastic! <laughs> Pay seven dollars. <laughs> so now, so, and, and what's interesting is I know you have another book that you have coming out that talks about anger. Oh yeah, are you angry? Well, I'm hoping that I can get it out by the end of the month, but self-publishing is hard, girl. <laughs> It's not as easy as people made us think. I'm yes. so learning. <laughs> yes, it is hard. Yeah, because for the past four days since I put out the first one, I have been um, looking at the cover and not liking what I see and the templates and all that's available. Having to learn, it's like they put me they put me into the deep water of the sea of technology. <laughs> <laughs> I had to learn so many new things in the past four days. And, and I was up all day yesterday from since after one in the morning till after midnight this morning. Um, didn't get a wink of sleep trying to just get it perfect and organize the, the, the cover and the manuscript for the paperback version. Because right now I have everything in except the book cover for the paperback. Okay. It's not as easy as it seems. <laughs> yeah. That's when I think, okay, this is, should be easy. Just about five clicks and I should be done. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it takes a village sometimes, you know? So um, Are You Angry is the title of that second book. And um, the subtitle is something to the effect of... Um, Take, take back control of your life and your emotions because, again, through experience and observing other people and how anger has destroyed their life and wrecked their reputation, messed with their social life, I mean, messed with everything, even messes with your spiritual life, I realized, okay, this is something that needs to be said. And I observe particular groups of people in society and I love them to be. So this is not a, this is not a, um, a, a, a critique. A critique, <laughs> just an observation, and my opinion. You don't have to agree, but I think the LGBT community it has a lot of angry people, and I think rightly so because they've had to endure like other groups of people, like different races who have uh, been enslaved, and and people who have been in war, and it seems like there's no end to the suffering of their race and their descendants. So I understand that there are different groups of people who are angry, but I noticed even when I was little and I had to ask mom, why is he so angry? If he's so angry, why do you call him gay? And she cracked up because she, you know, the child, children say things in a way that's different from us adults. Mm -hmm. I was seeing it as this. If gay means happy, because yeah. they didn't explain to me what gay was when I was little. Right. Well, at least I was, this guy's gay. I was like, how do you know he's gay? He doesn't look happy to me, you know? <laughs> so I was trying to understand. And even growing up, meeting a lot of them, dealing with a lot of them, working with them, uh, you meet a lot of angry people. And I'm like, why are you so pissed off? And the basic reply is, we have to fight so much to get our rights. And somebody's always on our case. And somebody's always trying to tell us how to dress and how to speak and how to whatever. But I thought about it. And I said, okay, I can understand. I can empathize. Um, because I was the last in my siblings. My parents made seven of us and I was the last. So you know what that means, right? That means that there are many people who are going to be telling me what to wear, 
how to fix my hair, what to put on my feet, how to speak, how to stand. And if even if I'm just at home, just relaxing and I'm just maybe performing a song for a family guest who's heard that I can sing and wanted me to sing something for them. When I'm done having a ball and singing a song and I go back inside, some sibling might be saying, why didn't you put your hand like this? Or why didn't you? I'm like, is there not a cause? Can a person breathe? <laughs> so I could relate and understand if someone has a problem with people not liking how they dress, not liking what they say, not liking something about it. And in every place we go, there's always a culture. There's always There are always rules. There are always expectations. There's always stereotype. There are always people that are in charge of stuff who have a bias. And these biases come to people because of how they were brought up, what they were taught as children, what they were taught as teenagers, the fact that they didn't know squat, just like I had. I had a lot of biases when I was little and a teenager because I didn't know any better. When I became an adult, obviously, I started to learn and I started to realize, hey, but you know what so-and-so taught me was wrong. And they are not all bad and they, they don't carry on like that. And not all of them wear tattoos and not all of them have extra piercings all over the place. So, you know, a whole set of different stereotypes, beliefs right. and, and myths that people have been taught. Again, the use of words. So I realized, again, words can hurt and words can heal. And so I wanted that book to be a source of healing. I wanted it to encourage. I wanted it to enlighten people, to provide information that people didn't have about anger and about how it works and about the fact that it doesn't work alone. And for those who believe in spiritual entities, for them to understand and believe for real that you're not just suspecting this is a spirit, but to know that it is a spirit and it doesn't work alone. Uh-uh. He's got some buddies that move with him and they cause real havoc into the life of anybody who entertains them. And the first way we entertain anger or any habit or any problem that we end up having as a result of, of uh, just letting something in that's negative into our mind is that the second time you do a thing, you have created a habit. And then from that, the more you do it, the more it becomes a lifestyle. So if, for example, someone thinks they have an unclean spirit, there are two kinds of unclean spirit. There's one that means it's just bad. And then there's one that means it's dirty. It likes dirtiness. So if you, for example, you throw litter on the ground and you say, well, it's my yard, it's my room, it's my whatever. It's my house, so I can I can be untidy. I can leave the way as dirty in the sink all day. I don't have to wash it. I don't have to fix this. I don't have to make my bed. I don't. And so you live in that mindset that I don't have to be clean. I don't have to. Then the second time you do it and you think, oh, I don't have to clean that now. Hello. The unclean spirit is hanging around and heard you say, I don't have to. And they're like, oh, okay. Thank you. That is an invitation to me. I'm coming in. So they come and they start to live in your life. They live in your mindset. And they bring along their friends. They bring along the little bug. They bring along uh, the rebellion. They bring along the one that is disobedient and doesn't like to follow rules. And all these kinds of similar spirits that have a similar mindset of, I don't have to. I don't have to listen to my, my parents. I don't have to listen to my boss when he tells me, you got half an hour to finish that project. So whatever it is that we do repeatedly is something that stays with us. And anger is no different. And it is a very, very strong spirit, a very, very hard habit to break. I know of a particular person, when they are not angry, they are so sweet. 
They are so helpful. You like to have them around. And when they are angry, girl, mm -mm, mm, nobody wants to be around them. Anybody who has to come and deal with them to do work for them, they are hustling to get the job done so they can get out of their way. Because that person, when they start, all it takes is one tiny thought of something that gets them upset. And they just run with that. And they go from this topic to this topic to this topic to this. And every time they start to talk a new topic, they're more and more angry. To the point where you're like, oh, just now she might lick me down. You know, that's a, say, say a phrase over here that means to, to hit you where you knock out. <laughs> right. So, right. And um, it's, it's really sad. And I, I really, really am looking forward to getting this out. And I, I want to make sure they get a copy. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm hoping because they're so angry most of the time that you can't even tell them, you know, you're angry a lot. Why are you always so angry? When you drive with them, they've got road rage, the slightest little bad drive, they're screaming, trying to scream at the person. And when the person's window is up, they're upset because they can't scream at the person in the road. They're, it's like you have to put earplugs in your ears to travel with them. And it's, it's not nice. It's not a nice thing. And do you know anger causes a lot of illnesses? It's responsible for high blood pressure, for heart problems, uh, trouble sleeping, indigestion, and then the list goes on. It's amazing. So I really am looking forward to getting that out there. And I hope, and I trust, and I believe that it's going to be a blessing to people and it's going to really help people. And I mean, anybody, not yeah. just people of one particular nationality or a particular or religion or any group or anything it's it's a great book for every person as long as you can read you can you can benefit from the book i hope maybe one day i can maybe even make an audio or am i just reading and put it on youtube <laughs> definitely definitely well and it's so interesting because you know i think there's a lot of people that think about anger you know for themselves because we are angry and i know even in the workplace you know, a lot of times we are the angry black women because we want to speak up and say something. But, you know, you also encounter people, other people who are directing their anger at you, um, which which is always challenging, especially when it's, you know, a senior person or yes. your manager or yes, something. Try to talk to and tell. Yeah. It's called misplaced anger. And usually um, it starts... Um, the seed was sown as a young person, whereas a person in authority over you, someone older than you, whether a parent or an elder sibling or whoever, um, hurt you. They did something either to offend you in word or deed, or they made you feel less than, made you feel as if what you had to say, or what you had to contribute was not good enough. And so that seed was planted in, in there from that age, and you grew with that if that wasn't dealt with. And so you find that you grew up now and everybody who is, who is an authority over you in any kind of form or fashion, you're ready to slip at them. The slightest thing, they, they just have to disagree with something and you, but how you can go on? And another thing is people who have been hurt by someone of the opposite gender. The person has gone on and broken up with you and gone their way. And everybody knew you meet, they're getting a taste of your age. So you're at the bar and a guy just comes over and he simply asks you, uh, what's, what's, what's good, what's good in here today? And he's not trying to pick you up, you know, he's just really, and you, you, you ready to bite the guy's ear and nose off with some kind of remark. 
think he's coming on to you and he he either looks like the person you were dating or he sounds like him or he's wearing the same cologne something triggers you apart from the fact that this person just came up to you and said something and it wasn't even anything disrespectful worse yet for the ones who actually dare to disrespect you well wow they're going to get full brunt <laughs> and so it's misplaced because it was intended for the of the original offender Mm-hmm. But because that person is no longer available, whether they died or they moved on or they're out of the country, you take out all that rage and put it somewhere else. And that's that's very sad. So I, I, I have that in there as well. Yeah. That. Wow, that's great. Interesting. So what is next for Miss Veronica Rogers? <laughs> I can't see. I, I'm just going to follow the guidance of the Lord. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a lot, a lot of books, so I'm gonna look at that and on how I felt, feel that, what I see to be the need in the society mm-hmm. uh, at a time. I might, I might go that way. And there, there, are books for different age groups as well, because I have children's stories, teen stories, young adult and adult stories. I've got fiction and nonfiction. Um, I'm working on a bio, but. I, I, I don't really like writing bios. I rather that someone write a bio about me as opposed to me writing it because you get a different feel, a different slant to yeah. it. And the good thing is they don't sound like you're boasting. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, some writers have a particular um, uh, observation that they have made about bios and people writing bios that I'm not going to say out loud. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to give it any power, but um, I'm looking at uh, possibly doing maybe two of each type of book and then coming around again. Okay. So, so I'll do two nonfiction, then two fiction, and work on getting two two more songs out because I have a Christmas song out and uh, uh, a Kaiso Soka. You know, in Trinidad, we have a special sort of music called Calypso. And there are different members of the family of the Calypso band. There's Kaiso, which is a story put to music. It's kind of different from the entertainment type of music. And we have Calypso Soka. We have Kaiso Soka, which is a combination of the two. And I have a Kaiso Soka song. It's great for aerobics called Jump Up and Wave. <laughs> Oh. And uh, I, I, I first, first performed it in 2007 in college for a songwriting competition. They had just a brain cooler after, after exams for us to cool down. And I, I did an adaptation of it for the gospel arena for churches that like to worship um, in the dance. So I have two versions of it right now. So I'm probably going to be bringing out one of them later this year because Carnival is coming. They've already started their... Um, prelims and stuff like that. And although I'm not a very active participant in Carnival, because <laughs> it's so small, I thought it was a bit scary because I told you some students are so real. <laughs> <laughs> I, I stood up with Daddy and I was like, mm, Daddy, I want to go home. <laughs> He's like, what? <laughs> You've been here like 15 minutes. No. <laughs> but um, there is uh, a lot potential for uh, writers in that particular aspect of our culture because um, you get to see a lot of the talent of the songwriters, the composers, 
uh, even though some of them that sing their own work and write their own stuff, they they, they tend to have a sort of uh, a signature like Michael Jackson. You know, you can tell a Michael Jackson song by certain things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so singers here, they they each have their signature, their their own tone, their own intonation. There are two guys that are very similar, and I have to always ask somebody, uh, "Is that so and so? Is that this other guy?" <laughs> right, right. That's great. Um, so it's, it's, it's good. Before we go, though, I want to make sure people know where to get your books. Okay. It's on Amazon.com. You just have to look uh, for either. You can type in how to uh, successfully prepare for job interviews. You can type in the title or you can type in my name, Veronica Adele Rogers, and it should come up. And from there, you'll be able to easily click and make an order. Uh, you can read the ebook free. You can get it free to read next week and the, the paperback as i said i'm trying to finish the cover <laughs> so that the, hopefully by weekend the cover should be up and and, and everything should be ready and they, they could be able to um order um paperbacks to buy for gifts for people and just having a library it's a great gift to give to someone that's about to enter the world of work or has st- already entered and is having a hard time getting getting jobs Getting through right. with even being called to an interview, so it's a good a good book for a timely book for them to get, so they can know all they need to know to get prepared. So when they do everything that's advised, and they get that interview call, they can go and rock it. They can shine and and come home feeling elated and positive and jump and do a jig when they get the call that they got the job. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, awesome. Well, thank you so much, Veronica, for joining me. You dropped a lot of a lot of great nuggets for people, uh, whether they're interviewing or angry or dealing with um, just challenging situations even. Um, and I know when, you know, when I always think of an interview, I always think of, you know, preparing for how I'm going to tell these stories uh, when they start asking questions. Um, Because I think there is a lot to just being able to tell a story. Um, So thank you so much for joining me, for, you know, kind of giving us, dropping some knowledge on us. And um, we are looking forward to hearing more from you and seeing more books. So congratulations, and we hope we will continue to hear from Veronica Rogers. Sure. Looking forward to to chatting with you again. Absolutely. Thanks for joining me on the Jolly Podcast. Please subscribe so you won't miss an episode. See you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.